is a new affiliate for the program. And of course, I blog up on this and I send that out on my blog site. So again, you're listening to WMFO 91.5 AM here in Medford, Boston, Tufts University, the heart of one of America's most liberal college campuses. Here I am, a, uh, a conservative, or I guess you might say a libertarian conservative, um, I, if I must label myself at all. Well, an article has come out about the show um, in the Tufts Observer by Greta Jochem. She's a student journalist here. It, uh, it's called Morse Code. It's up, uh, it was published April 10th, and it's available both um, in print and uh, online. And uh, what, what I would say is that for the most part, the article is fair and accurate, uh, but it, it, it's very difficult and painful personally for me to see myself being called racist and Islamophobic. I mean, these are, these are real serious charges. I mean, this is, you know, it, it's just, um, you know, I guess that uh, I think Mike Tyson said it best in that you can prepare all you want and plan all you want, but then you get hit in the mouth. And that's how I feel when I saw this article. I feel like I've been hit in the mouth. It's, um, it's, it feels damaging to me personally. It feels damaging to my reputation. It's hurtful to my family. It's hurtful to my image. Um, I, I would argue that this is just like the kind of thing that you throw up like a schoolyard bully. I feel like I'm back in second grade. And facing this guy that bullied me back then, you know, hey, you know, come on out here, Morse, <laughs> you dirty blankety blank. That that's what this feels like to me, you know. And um, I uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the article. I'm going to read read most of it, if not all of it. I'm going to respond to it, and then I'm going to read a response that I wrote formally uh, to this article. Now, um, first of all, it says, it says content warning, Islamophobia and racism, which, you know, that's hurtful right off the bat. I mean, come on. Um, it says, on the March 16 episode of conservative talk radio host Chuck Moore Speaks, Trump Travel Ban, which was the title of the program that day, host Chuck Moore said that allowing Muslims and Amer- into America would change the dynamic of our society. Now, this, first of all, is out of context because I, what I said, and I've listened back to the tape, is that we ought to welcome Muslims who are either willing to take an oath of loyalty to the United States and and mean it in a sense that they, they're willing to disavow practices that are contrary to our way of life. And we ought to welcome in also or try to welcome in Muslims who are skillful and who could add to and contribute to our society. And, and thirdly, we ought to welcome in Muslims who are genuinely whose lives are at risk. You know, we have a great tradition in this country of, of welcoming in refugees. And I think that we owe a particular moral debt to Muslims because of the horrendous policies of the Obama administration, which is responsible for this, largely responsible for this awful um, 
breakup in Syria and, and, and the resulting diaspora and this complex civil war. So because of Obama, I think we owe a certain, we have a certain moral obligation to at least try to come up with a solution for the refugees there. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to welcome them into the United States. But we ought to use our influence to make sure that they're either in safe zones or uh, in, you know, welcome into uh, perhaps other Islamic countries, many of which are wealthy and vast in resources and land, who, who could welcome them then. I find it quite interesting and curious why they don't welcome them in. And in that regard, I would ex- put exceptions to Jordan, which has welcomed in a lot of refugees and which ought to be honored for that. And th- that's a great thing. But I didn't just say that the way this article says uh, we should, uh, you know, not welcome in any Muslim refugees. All right. Then it goes on to say he thinks that Islamic law is not compatible with American democracy and that under the religion, women can be killed. Now, that that is something that I stand by. Um, I, I do question whether or not Islamic law or Sharia law is compatible to our American legal system. This has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with race. It has, it has to do with an ideology. When you talk about law, you're talking about an ideology that is accompanying a religion. And to criticize that law and to ask whether or not that law is compatible with American law is perfectly appropriate in the same way that it's appropriate to say uh, whether, whether Nazism is appropriate to our way of life or communism is, is consistent with our way of life. And if you criticize Nazism, it doesn't mean you're criticizing Germans. Criticize communism doesn't mean you're criticizing Russians. It has to do with a set of laws that people embrace. It has to do with an ideology. And if we can't discuss ideologies, then, you know, we have a big problem in this country because any sovereign nation has a right to um, sort of determine the nature not only of their own laws, but of their own... uh, I guess you might say political and social ethos. And, um, you know, we do have laws, for example, in this country that ban Nazis and should. So therefore, under the guise of looking at people who embrace, you know, we have laws that ban white supremacists and we should from coming into this country. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, any sovereign nation has a right to decide whether or not anyone entering into that nation uh, intends to respect the uh, the laws of the land and the way of life of the land and or not and and if there's a question about whether or not they do then we ought to ask that question and make a determination no one has a right to enter from nation a to nation b there's no such thing in international law or custom all people and all nations all sovereign nations have the right to decide who enters a national home for the same reason that you as an individual has a right to decide who enters into your home, your private home. It's a natural thing. This is this is a principle that exists in nature. You don't enter a bird's nest unless you have permission from the bird. You know, you don't enter the space of a dog unless, you know, if you do, you're going to get hand bit. Because animals understand that you have a right to a certain degree of sovereignty and control over your own space. And so just like you as an individual have that right, 
The nation has that right. That's why we have nations. That is why there exists sovereign nations. This is a very progressive idea. You know, it's something which preserves democracy. It preserves freedom. It preserves society. It preserves culture. So, yes, we have a right to ask whether or not Islamic law is compatible with American democracy. And what I would suggest is that, for the most part, it is, but there are certain elements of it that are not, or that they may not be. And on that particular program, I did develop some of those elements, and that's what offended people, apparently, or some people, who filed a complaint against me for that. Anyway, the article goes on to say, and this is quoting me, Since the influx of Muslim immigrants in this country, there has been an increase in these sorts of killings. Women can be killed, is how I started it. And for reasons that are quite interesting, the New York Times, which is a left-leaning establishment mouthpiece, doesn't report this. They'll report there was a killing, that a girl was killed by her father or by her brother, but they won't report that the family was Muslim. They leave that out. Now, my source on this is New York Times reporter... William William McGowan, who wrote a book called Grey Lady Down. It's about the New York Times. Um, he's a pretty well-respected researcher. He's not some right-wing nut. You know, he's, um, you know, his book is a, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty widely uh, disseminated book. And uh, that was my source on that piece of information. Take it or leave it. Um, he says that the New York Times would report on what what can be described as honor killings, but they would they would avoid mentioning that the family was Muslim so that no one would associate it as such. Instead, it was just another strange murder where some girl had been murdered by her father or, or some such incident. And there was an uptick of this in, in the greater New York area in particular, um, that did accompany an increase in Islamic immigration into the United States. So, as a feminist, I am upset by that. Um, I am upset by the women, the way women are treated in uh, in Islamic um, Sharia compliant nations. I think women are treated like pieces of property. They've got apparently they don't appear to have any rights. Um, you know, there are elements of Islamic law which say that you can beat your wife. You know, you can get divorced from your wife by simply declaring, I want a divorce three times. Women have no rights in divorce. Women can be, uh, girls can be killed if they're seen out in public without, in the company of a man other than their brother or father. Um, you know, the, the, it's apparently it's okay to have them killed because they've allegedly brought some kind of dishonor by doing so. Um, you know, we could look at Iran and the way women are, are treated. We could look at Saudi Arabia. There are a lot of examples of this. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about the possibility that that could be imported into the United States. It's oppressive. It is uh, something that run, does run contrary to our American principle of equal rights. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I stand by that as a feminist. And I wonder why other feminists don't agree with me on this. Why I don't hear from them. Where are they on this? Isn't this anti-feminist to support these sorts of things, at least implicitly? They may not openly support it. They may not think they're supporting it. But by not discussing it frankly and openly and honestly, 
you are supporting it. So that's what that's motivated by. Okay, moving along here. Chuck Moore Speaks is a Tufts WMFO radio show at 10 a.m. on Thursdays. Since early this November, Morse talks about a range of current events in, quote, a racist and Islamophobic way, unquote, under the guise of the conservative perspective. Okay, so what this tells me, first of all, is that, you know, and again, I don't blame the author of this article. I don't blame a lot of people for viewing it this way. But the fact is that I think due to I don't want to use the word indoctrination because that might come down a little hard, but conditioning, let's put it that way. Um, We have a lot of young people in this country who believe that anyone that doesn't genuflect to the left is a racist or is one of the other phobics. You know, I mean, Hillary Clinton described it as the basket of deplorables, and she made a laundry list of these things, that these are people who don't genuflect to the left. And I would suggest to you respectfully that um, you might broaden your minds a little bit and think about the fact that there are people out there who have difference of opinions to yours and that why you're not exposed to these opinions. So it may sound different in your ear. It, it, It has like almost a shock feeling to you because it's not what you're used to hearing. That these are opinions that are held on principle that they have nothing to do with racism or, or any of these other phobias, um, and that this is a piece of propaganda that is promoted by a left-wing establishment to squelch free speech. Um, you know, I, I deeply resent, um, first of all, being called a racist, and I'm saying this as a person of color myself. Um, you have no idea what I am, you know, what my background is. You have no idea what my attitudes are toward races or if I have any attitudes toward races. I do feel that racism is an issue in this country, which is why it bothers me that these kinds of charges can be thrown around so cavalierly at people when there's no evidence of it. And that uh, it, what it does is essentially, at it, 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 the end of the day, it cheapens the, um, the actual genuine problem of racism to the degree that we have that problem in this country. And I think we do, not as much as we did back in the 1950s and 60s when you had Jim Crow laws. But, you know, yes, racism and ra- and discomfort over race and, and uh, you know, subtle discrimination, I don't deny that that's real. Of course it's real. Um, I would also like to uh, just briefly shift the, ta- shift the table a little bit and point out that the genuine racist agendas in this country, at least in the de facto sense, today come from the left. And their racist policies that have hurt and in many cases damaged the African-American family, the black faith, uh, black entrepreneurialism, black opportunity, um, you know, things like welfare. I mean, I could go on and other, other things, education, which I think is skewed, controlled largely by leftists that I think has hurt black children and hurt the ability of black, young black students to think cognitively so they can achieve. Um, you know, a lot of our prisons, for example, are, are made up of young black men who are illiterate. There's a reason for that. That's not an accident. Anyway, so that's a subject that could be argued. But the point I'm making is that by simply throwing this attack against me, 
is, you know, it, it's not malicious on the part of the the author of this article or or the young people who were interviewed, this tough students, because you guys don't know any better. You know, this is the milieu of which you exist and we were brought up in. You don't think outside of it. So you don't mean it. I know it's not, you're not, you're not trying to hurt me personally. Maybe you are, but you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, you actually believe that anything that doesn't genuflect to the left is racist. But the bigger picture with regard to people who are conscious and who are witting and who are adults and who have promoted this idea, those are the people that I hold to account for this, this kind of ugly personal assault against me, which is exactly what that is. Anyway, moving on to the article. Morse also identifies himself on air as Jewish, and it was says that it was immoral to deny Jews entry to the United States from Nazi Germany, which I do say. But letting in Muslims could change our society. Well, hey, you know, again, this is a topic where reasonable people need to debate. I don't have anything against Muslim men and women. I, I you know, just for, as a matter of public information. I should note that I happen to be an Uber driver. I drive Uber, right? You know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a working guy here. And in the course of driving Uber, I have a lot of Muslim passengers, and I find them to be excellent people, um, very friendly and very, very nice people. It's nothing personal. It has more to do with the fact that Islam teaches two principles that are not consistent with the West, and by the way, my Muslim passengers would agree with me on this, and have, and they also, and not to get into a sidebar here, but when during the election, I did an informal polling of my passengers, and I noticed that a large number of my uh, Muslim, African American, Hispanic passengers were Trump supporters, but that's another subject. Um, the point is that jihad and sharia are inconsistent with our American approach. And by the way, I don't say this out of a sense of chauvinism that America or our Western values are superior because we're not. We're worse. Because after all, was it not the Western enlightenment that gave birth to the two evil weeds of socialism, those being Nazism and communism? which are far worse than Islam. They're, they're atheist. They were utopian. They were, you know, they called, talk about Sharia law, they controlled for a complete nanny state control over the every aspect of the citizen's life. You know, th these were much more virulent and much more anti-American than Islam is. I think Islam actually, there's hope for Islam. It can be adopted mainly for one, if, if for no other reason than Muslims believe in God. You know, communists and Nazis don't. They believe in the state. So, you know, I'm not here to, to preach. Um, I do recognize that our Western civilization has been responsible for worse ideologies, ideologies that I would suggest should also not be welcomed into this country. Anyway, back to the article here. Again, reading from the article about me at the... At the um, the uh, Tufts Observer uh, called Morse Code. You can look it up. Um, it says um, he, uh, all right, he goes, um, 
just the ideology which he says is, is seeks to destroy nation states worldwide. Again, I stand by that. I think that uh, jihad is proven to be just that. It is an aggressive, imperialist idea that seeks to submit the entire planet to Islam. And anybody who doesn't know that, you know, you've got your head in the sand. You may not have been reading the paper on September the 11th of 2001. Why did they strike us? Why did they kill 3,000 Americans on that day? What did we do to deserve that? They did it because they wanted to destabilize the Western democracies, which they view as infidel. They view it as uh, what's called in, in Arabic the Dar el-Ab, the world of war. While they, they live in the Dar es-Salaam, the world of peace, the world of war is the part of the planet that has not submitted to Islam. The part of the planet that has is called the world of peace. Their utopian solution is a one-world government, which they call Dar el-Islam. That is a world that has entirely submitted. Now, again, 99% of Muslims don't believe in this stuff, thank God. But this is what, this is what jihad's about. This is a world-conquering faith. And again, I'm not holding up the West as being superior because that's exactly what both Nazism and Communism were as well. You know, the Nazis showed that in their blitzkrieg across Europe. The communists believe in world revolution to create a, um, a utopia where everyone is de facto equal. That's, ev that's worse, in a sense, that, than the Islamic Jihad. So I'm criticizing the Islamic Jihad in that context here. All right? And I do reject those things. That doesn't mean that I have something against anyone based on their racial background. It's nothing to do with that. Getting back. Ah, do we want to... Okay, blah, blah, blah. Morse is a middle-aged community member. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I am, though. And DJ, he speaks favorably of Donald Trump, saying that his inaugural address is, quote, something by conventional meaning every school child should learn and read and memorize, unquote. And he's written several nonfiction books, which they were nice enough, the author was nice enough to link to. I'm proud of my books which have titles such as The Nazi Connection to Islamic Terrorism, Was Hitler a Leftist, and The War Against Judaism. I'm proud of my books. My books speak for themselves. If you'd like to look at my books, you're welcome to go on Amazon.com. I'm not saying this is a commercial. I'm not suggesting people buy them. You don't have to buy them. You can actually borrow them and at no charge. So, you know, but they're there. They speak for themselves. I am proud of my work. I've written over 50 nonfiction books. Thank you very much. All right. But the comment here about memorizing uh, Donald Trump's inaugural address. Um, well, first of all, I didn't say all students have to memorize anything. It makes it sound like I'm being authoritarian here. But uh, I do think that it's not a bad idea for high school civics classes to familiarize themselves with President Trump's inaugural address. It happens to be a brilliant speech. Um, it's an exceptional speech. And um, in a sense, whether you like it or not, since Donald J. Trump is the President of the United States and will essentially as, or, or assumedly be for the next four to eight years, this speech is worth reading for that reason alone. It lays out his, his beliefs, his philosophy, his agenda, 
what he has in mind. I mean, the speech kind of tells you pretty much everything you need to know about Donald Trump, about what he ran on, and about what he intends to do. So, like him or hate him, it's a good exercise in civics to read his speech. And as far as memorizing, yes, I think memorization is something that is good for young people. It's something that has was discredited in the 1960s by the educrats, the change agents. But I would suggest that it actually can improve a person's ability to cognitively retain information. There is evidence to suggest that. It's a good idea to memorize um, poems or speeches um, you know, throughout your educational years. It, it, it's an exercise that used to be a standard part of education. It was done away with by the change agents who wanted to turn our schools into behavior factories rather than uh, education uh, places where people can think for themselves and think cognitively and thus go forth as independent uh, sovereign people. So, yeah, I stand by that. I think memorization is good. All right. Um, moving through the article here. Um, in, quote, censorship at Tufts University, Moore said he believes that Tufts students are afraid to speak out because of bias reports, what he calls, quote, thought police. He said that Tufts has created, an, a quote, an apparatus, a group of people who are taking phone calls from students who want to report someone who has engaged in politically incorrect conversation. He added that saying something racist in this day and age is unlikely and that what is offensive is a subjective decision. Now, what I'm talking about here is that Tufts University, like many colleges around the country, have set up a sort of an anti-bias organization that at least implicitly has police powers. They can investigate you. They can possibly have you expelled or disciplined. They certainly could hurt someone's reputation if they receive a report of someone um, engaging in what is called biased behavior. In fact, I think that's what I'm undergoing right now. I'm not even a student here. Um, and yeah, I do think that this is chilling to free speech. I think that it's, uh, it's thought control. Yes, I do. I think that it creates, maybe in an unintentionally, I think it actually probably, there are intentions. It creates a sense of, um, of dread over expressing unpopular opinions. I do say that. Now, what then to do about genuine uh, racist comments or bias or, you know, I mean, you know, comments it says here, in contrast, Truff, for example, getting back to the article, uh, Tufts defines a bias incident as, quote, any act directed against a person or property that includes the use of slurs or epithets expressing bias on the basis of race, color, national or ethnic origin, age, religion, disability, gender, sexual orientation, or gender identity and expression. Okay, so what do we do, therefore, about insulting comments that might be made uh, to someone on these topics? Because I think it is a legitimate question. You know, we, we don't want to have a uh, an atmosphere where people are bullied or people are, you know, attacked in any way or insulted. 
You know, this is an issue. The, the, the problem is that the solution is not to set up a, a policing organization that can destroy a person's career. I think that the solution, and maybe the, maybe this sounds quaint, I don't know. But I would suggest that the solution to this is to set up, to return to chivalry, a sense of propriety with regard to how we relate to each other and not to do it by force, not to have an external board, you know, passing judgments unless something is so egregious. You know, obviously there are laws against rape and sexual harassment and any kind of physical force. That's another agency. I'm not talking about that. That's, that's an appropriate thing. I mean, those are crimes. People should be brought to justice for that into the fullest extent of the law. We're not talking about that here. We're talking about uh, insulting comments that are being raised to the level, not necessarily of crime, but almost of crime, of a quasi-crime. And I think that the answer, rather than to criminalize, rather than to threaten, is to simply teach, as a matter of course, manners, chivalry, that we don't comment about other people's race, we don't talk about other people's sexual orientation or their gender or their ethnic background. It's not polite. You know, you don't know what, you know, you don't know what, what, how someone else relates to these things. You know, in a polite society, we generally ought to consider, you know, giving people space and avoiding comments of a personal nature, even among friends, you know, unless someone is willing to permit it. It's not polite to talk about these things unless you get a, a sort of a, a permission. You say, do you mind if I bring up a subject here? You know, you, 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 there's a way to go about it. It's called manners. It's called chivalry. And it's something that has gone by the wayside and has been replaced by this assumption, quite wrongly, that people are not going to be polite that people are inherently, for example, racist and sexist and all of these things, and therefore it requires an external policing apparatus to enforce this and to punish people. I don't believe that people are inherently any of these things. I don't think most people are, are that at all. And I think that, in a sense, when that does happen, and when people are making rude comments... It's a much better approach to, to sort of apply social pressure, to say to them, this is a wrong thing to say, don't say it again, it's offensive to me, and that if they do say it again and they say it continuously, you know, yeah, then maybe someone's waving a flag and at that point you report it to, not necessarily this agency, but maybe, you know, your, your, your professor, or someone in, in a lower position of authority than some external policing group. You know, this shouldn't, this, this is like what they do in communist China, you know, where they have like somebody who is watching the block for comments that might be deemed politically incorrect, things that are seen as anathema or in opposition to the state. Now, I understand that that comments about someone's race is not that, but I would suggest 
that setting up an apparatus that by which people get reported is a step in that direction, at least to me. And again, I'm looking at this not as a student, not as a professor, not as someone who is really directly involved in, in this or any other academic institution, but as a complete outsider looking in and seeing um, this as, as such a trend. Um, I hope people can respect that. Um, I would suggest that this does have a chilling effect on speech. Um, I've noticed this, quite frankly, be, you know, here at Tufts, in that, and I know this is completely anecdotal, but I did a broadcast here at Tufts in the late 1990s for a time. I think it was maybe about a year, maybe about a half a year, whatever. 1998, 1997, around that time. And then I went off to do other things, and I'm now back here, 20, almost 20 years later. And I do notice a difference in young people. Back then, people were more open, more boisterous. You did have opposing opinions. I had a whole line of very conservative, you know, even you might say right-wing guests, you know, people who were, you know, lawyers and professors and authors. And, uh, you know, nobody thought twice about it. They were like, they thought it was interesting. People debated me. People would come on the air. Back then, I used to debate on other radio shows uh, a lot of liberals. I, I, In fact, on this program, back in 1996, I debated Congressman Barney Frank. You know, I mean, I had on Noam Chomsky. Uh, you know, people would come on with me and we would debate. And we would not agree, but we would have a, a ribald and reasonable discussion. I've noticed that now you don't have that anymore. Nobody wants to talk to me anymore. And it's not because of me personally. It's because... Liberals do not want to talk any longer with conservatives. Everybody has kind of closed the tent. There's been a sort of a, a hardening, a bitterness, a tightening, a narrowing of people's views. And so I don't get people to come on anymore. Uh, I've noticed that students here, and again, I'm using anecdotal evidence here. I've only had, I haven't had a lot of contacts with people here. I've had some. I've gone to some of the meetings. I've seen people come and go here. I've gone through the trainings. And I've noticed that there's just much more docility, much more passivity when it comes to uh, discussions of politics and, and, and ethics and culture. Uh, people avoid, avoid it. They don't want to talk about it. And I understand that because you get this group of people uh, you know, policemen that I'm criticizing, the censorship group, this apparatus. I mean, nobody wants to stick their neck out. You know, you come to a college like Tufts University, which is a very elite institution, and your parents, they, they could be paying upwards of forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year for you to attend this college. You have a reputation to preserve. You don't want to stick your neck out. You don't want to criticize you don't want to be seen criticizing um, a professor for example most of which are on the left you don't want to take a diverse opinion because it could hurt your grades it could hurt your reputation if you get reported somebody may think that you violated their safe space they may think you've used a trigger word these are all repackaged old-fashioned leftist 
totalitarian concepts that are being reintroduced under new names. So you have an atmosphere of passivity here now in general. I'm not being, uh, you know, and, and I understand it, as I said, because, you know, if, if I were here or, if, you know, I wouldn't want to rock the boat either. You know, you don't want to, you want to get through the thing. You want to keep your head low and, and, and do what you have to do and make the most of it. And, and also this social pressure. You want to be popular. You want to go to the parties. You want to be with one of the beautiful people. You want to be part of the in crowd. So you conform. And to an extent, that's natural, but I think it's become more extreme in that I think people purge out of their minds um, opposition ideas. They, they stop thinking about them, if they ever did. And thus, when you have someone like, come along, like me come along, who's broadcasting right here at the heart of this college, and who is sort of an outsider who introduces ideas, then yeah, I can understand where it triggers all these thoughts. This must be racist. It must be, uh, you know, Islamophobic or whatever. Because it's foreign to you. Because it shakes your and rattles your rather carefully constructed cage. And because it, uh, in a sense, it threatens, threatens what you've been taught. Threatens your worldview. So... Moving along in the article here, I say uh, on the show he compared the system of communist China. Tufts isn't that bad, and I'm quoting here. But we seem to be moving in that direction, Morse said. Do we want a society where comments we don't agree with are reported to the authorities? Yeah, I, I stand by that. When Junior and Tufts observe, okay, this is, we're getting into names of people. I'm not going to mention this guy's name, even though he gave an interview to the, the station. I just don't want to mention people's names on the air. So this was a, a student that was interviewed. He's on the staff. He first heard the show playing a few days before the recent presidential election at Brown and Brew, which is the, the uh, coffee bar right here at the first floor of, of uh, Curtis Hall. Apparently they play the program. I'm up here on the third floor at the radio station. He was surprised and upset to hear more speaking about the gender fluidity movement. Now, I don't recall saying much about that. I probably did. I don't know. Um, I don't have a big issue with that. I think people, you know, you, you, you might have noticed that earlier in this broadcast today, I made the comment that I am a person of color. Now... Some people would say, no, you're not, you're white. But um, I happen to know that I am because um, recently I did a, um, a DNA test of my ethnic background and I discovered that I am only 4.5% of European ancestry, which tells me that I am 95.5% a non-European ancestry. Thus, I'm a person of color, all right? And also growing up in a neighborhood where most people were white, People did think of me that way. They certainly did think of me as different, uh, racially, uh, certainly, and certainly ethnically. Um, I was Jewish. And as a Jew, I was not thought of as white. I was contended as a Jew, I'm not white. So that's my right to say that. Now, you know, if someone can say that, you know, they are biologically born male or female and then they decide that they want to be the other gender for whatever reason or that they want to be gender fluid and say, well, 
You know, I want to be a little male, a little female, maybe both, maybe neither. You know, if you can support that, then you can support my right to be racially fluid. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just make that observation. I mean, ultimately, when it comes to gender, I think it's a little bit more, uh, it has a little bit more of a meaning biologically in terms of, um, of what gender you're born into than racial, because racism is just more of a social construct. What does it mean? It's, it's a mystery, actually. It doesn't mean anything. Whereas if you're born male or born female, that, that does have some, a, a bit more of a meaning physically, emotionally, not mentally, because mentally people are the same. But it's more, you know, there are differences between men and women. So there are, you know, that, that's an issue that is interesting to me. Um, again, when I bring that up, it's not because I have anything against anybody. People, uh, you know, I, I'm, people have a right to, to their own sexuality, however it's expressed, and I don't see it as anyone's business. You know, again, it's a private matter. It's not something that anyone has a right to, um, to come in and, and declare for someone else. You know, you all, we all deal with whatever our sexual peccadilloes are. I mean, that's personal. You know, that's not. Uh, so I'm not. I'm not criticizing that. And I and I don't think that um, you know, people. It's anybody's business if somebody wants to put on a dress and go into a men's a woman's room if they're born a man. That's personal. Anyway, let me get to um, the. Um, I'm just having a little bit of a YouTube issue here let's uh, let me see if i can save this upload 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 is it working yes it is okay i think we shall see um so getting back to the article here so he was upset at my bringing up the question of gender fluidity well again i mean these are topics that i think can be discussed by reasonable people in a dispassionate atmosphere Without this kind of like, you know, I mean, you know, assumption that because someone doesn't take a left wing view of it, that, that they somehow are against it. Okay, he says, and this is the student who was interviewed. He's heard the show several times and always, um, let's see, um, representative or in, oh, okay, and and is always upset by it and concerned that Morse's words represent Tufts. Well, first of all, um, if someone is really upset by this program, um, I, I would just say that you can contact me, that if you'd like, I will communicate with you off the air or even on the air. I mean, you can call in or you could even come up here and, and sit in with me. I mean, I'm, I'm open to that. I enjoy that. I, I welcome debate. I'm not, that, that, that's what this is all about. By the way, the phone number is 855-915-9636 if you'd like to come on. By the way, I should do, before I forget, let me just quickly do a public service announcement. And since I forgot how to do it electronically, I'm going to read it. Hold on. Huh? And moving along here, I'm trying to find the community list here, the uh, notebook, which is, uh, let's see, notebook, notebook, 
Um, somebody didn't put away the notebook or something because it's not where it's supposed to be. So I'm not sure. I, I'll have to improvise a community, a, a public service announcement. I know that um, one of them deals with, um, you know, oh, wait, here we go. Let me see if I can actually do this. Um. But people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You going to finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... <laughs> Sometimes, though. <laughs> you don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. He knew exactly what to do. Not I had no clue what I was doing. We set up the rocket. We set up the rocket. Hit ignition. Hit ignition. And then? And then nothing. <laughs> Sometimes I laugh when I'm frustrated. Then out of nowhere, the rocket launched into the air. The rocket did get into the air. I've never seen anything fly so high. And then crashed into a kite. Look out! Look out! And then the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. And we're back. Thank you very much. You're welcome to join the program in the final segment. Uh, Chuck Moore Speaks. I'm here every Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at uh, WMFO 91.5 Tufts University, Medford, Boston, uh, Somerville. 855-915-9636 is the number. 855-915-9636. And I'm talking about the article that was just published about this program called Morse Code. It's available online at Tufts Observer um, and also um, in print uh, by, uh, offered by the Tufts Observer. You can check it out. Um, I'm talking about the, this comment made by one of the, by a young student who was interviewed, who was disturbed by the program, mentioning simply that um, you're welcome to join me. You're welcome to come up here and uh, and go on the air with me or or call in or well, send me an email. I'll exchange emails with you. I don't want people to feel disturbed. Um, you know, my goal is not to disturb anybody. My goal is to try to educate as best I can and to share my thinking uh, for whatever it's worth. You know, I mean, talk radio is, uh, to me, is introducing ideas and different ways of looking at things with the hope that it might spark a new way of thinking. You know, that's what it does for me. 
That's the experience I have when I listen to talk radio. And I listen to talk radio both left, right, and center. I mean, every day I spend time listening to so-called progressive radio. I listen to Patriot Radio. I listen to, my, as I say, my favorite talk show host on the left at this time would probably be Joe Madison. And my favorite talk show on the right right now is um, Michael Savage. And they have very different opinions, but I take in both. You know, in a sense, that's typical of, frankly, of conservatives. Anyways, hello, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. I think it was last week at the same time I called you. I was very upset with you on your, uh, what you were talking about in terms of the Republicans and the Democrats and and uh, all that kind of stuff. You were, was it you, I think? I believe it was. So I want to tell you, as much as I don't like some of the stuff you say, and as much as I didn't like what went on last week, I want to be very clear. I'd be the first in line to defend your right to say what you want to say. Now, I don't know what that station's doing and what they're saying to you that you you said you got in trouble with the management, I think, about 20 minutes ago or something. But I And I don't know what this person wrote because I'm in my car and I can't read the story while I'm driving. But I, but I want to tell you that I believe in your first, your, your right to free speech. And Thank I you. I don't know what's going on up there with Tufts and the, their uh, radio people, but the fact of the matter is they should be supporting your right. Even for me... When I don't like your point of view some of the time. Thank you. I, I will say that the management here at WMFO is supporting me. Um, there have been complaints. Uh, there's an article about this program at, at the Tufts Observer, which is the, the main Tufts University uh, you know, newspaper, uh, written by a student, a student journalist. It's called Morse Code. You can look at it online. And, uh, yeah, it says I'm being investigated and that there's complaints about the show. There are people, and there's a man quoted in this article, who wants to see me taken off the air. Um, what I would say... My question, yeah. my question to you is this. <clears throat> you said they're spending, what, 40 to 60 grand a year to send a, send a student to Tufts? About that. Aren't they taking a basic history class to understand the Constitution? Well, they're taking a history class with probably a leftist professor, and they're afraid to speak up. I, I don't get it. I don't know how anyone could be a freshman or, or a student, an undergrad and think that your right to free speech should be, should be somehow caged. Well, take a look that. at what's gone on in college campuses in, recent, in this past recent decade. And I also would say, ha FTC, look, having... This is about radio. This isn't about... No, it actually, look, having said that, caller, and I do say this in the article, and they quote me accurately, you know, WMFO, this is not AM radio. This is not, you know, commercial radio. This is a college radio station. And as such, I do have to respect the right of the college to expect certain levels of for lack of a better word, censorship. I mean, it's a, you know, I have to, in a sense, act and local parentis, just like a professor. You know, a professor can't just spout off their opinion openly. You know, I have to have a certain this amount of... Uh, this is about FCC, and these are my airwaves, and these are your airwaves, and the FCC granted the license to Tufts, and too bad if Tufts has political views that they don't like being discussed on their radio station. That's too bad. This is all about FCC and radio. This isn't okay. about... Well, no, I mean, look, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, I, I personally agree with you, but but I at the same time, I you know, I, respect, I get that. But I respect the fact that this is a college 
and I need to find, and I'm trying to find, the parameters by which I can operate and yet at the same time continue to express my conservative opinions. And, and what I'm trying to say about this article, which calls me a racist and an Islamophobe, is that the reason why I think young people might think this is because they're so imbued with a politically correct left view that they view anyone that when they hear people that, that, that aren't part of that, this is what they're taught to think. It's not conscious. I don't think that the person who wrote this article or the young man who's quoted, I don't think that they mean to be malicious and defamatory toward me, even though they are. I, I, I think that they don't think it that way. They're, they're thinking, oh, okay, well, he must be racist. So they think they could go out and call me a racist in print. They don't think that this could hurt me and my family, which it does and how, how nasty this is, because they don't think they're being that. They mean well. I don't take issue with them. I understand it. I also understand that, yes, their parents are probably paying $50,000 a year for them to go here. They don't want to, they don't want to think other than what you, you know, the way you're supposed to think. You know, I mean, it's a conformity uh, factor. So when you hear someone like me, some Yahoo coming in from the outside, you know, it... it, it it, it's almost like, you know, they talk about triggers. Yeah, it triggers something in them. You know, what it's triggering is not really what's happened here, but I understand it. I don't like it, but I understand it. Look, like that expression, maybe these younger crowd students haven't heard this, but parachutes only work when they're open. You've got to have an open mind, even to people who have views that you don't agree with. And you and I, I, I kind of cussed you out kind of hard last week because I was... I was really pissed off. Right. But the fact of the matter is, we share a difference of opinion, and that's what life's about. And, uh, you know, no, I, I invite, I'll even put the challenge up. If you're in that paper and you wrote the story or you quoted your, you got quoted saying something, come step up to the bat. Get in the batter's box here. Come on on the show. Don't be a wuss your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just sign a petition on the internet that you're irritated or hide behind your keypad, get, get up there to wherever your station is and, and get in there and have a dialogue. I agree. Even you, when we disagree, and you know, deep down, I kind of disagree with you. I understand. And, and look, I mean, anyone, you're right. They, 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 First of all, they can get a show here and do and speak their own minds. But, I mean, my program is open to anyone who'd like to come up here and join me. I mean, I've, I've always been clear about that. Um, if someone wants to take an issue with me, they can contact me uh, either privately or they could come on the air with me and that's that's fine that's in fact what i'm trying to do so anyway but listen i hear you 100 yep. but i just want to say i'll raise the challenge <laughs> if you're from tops and you don't like what you hear go in the booth and have a discussion about it don't hide behind your keypad like everyone else is 20 something or under you know no and the I other know. thing is look up your free speech rights because it's ridiculous if the if the if these kids don't recognize that you don't have to agree with everyone, but That's you right. do have the right to say what you want to say. I'm not going to fight you on your content. I might disagree with you, but I'm not going to fight you on the fact that you have the right to say what you want to say. I don't know what those people at that newspaper are doing. I'll read the story later. But And I don't know what the management of the station is doing. As a matter of fact, I'm upset. But the manager of the station isn't saying that they support your free rights. No, they manage, no, let me just say they do support it. The manager is well, quoted in that's the that's article, like the, and the board of directors, they are supporting me. Let's be clear. 
but the article, you know, they were also watching to be sure that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, that I'm not going going off the deep end, I guess. But no, they they are supporting me, and I appreciate that. And um, well, I'm yeah, trying to work with people. Were any of them in the story? Oh yeah, they're quoted, so and they. I mean, the is in the story? yes, yes, they are. The man, the code. The models of the paper. Who know what they say? I'll give you. I mean, um, uh, let's see. Um, you know, no, they are quoted. I'm not going to read it all, but you read the story. It's called Morse Code. It's on the Tufts Observer. They're quoted as defending my right to speak, but at the same time, watching to make sure that I'm I'm within within the values, I guess that you might say, of Tufts University, which is very ill-defined. However, I do appreciate their support. I hope I continue. Wait, By the wait, way, wait I should mention... I want to say this again. I don't want to get rushed off here. You know, you can talk about the Tufts values if you want, but before the Tufts values come into play is the fact that you have an FCC license and the right to free speech. I think that trumps your Tufts values. All right, I appreciate so I that. Where, Anyways, I'm reaching... <laughs> Thank you very much. It, but I'm telling you... I'm on your side, even when right. I disagree with you. Thank you very much. And I should mention, just as a program note, that if I am taken off the air, the show is podcasted and that continues. I, I have a platform where I can do the program from home. I was actually doing it from home before. Um, I would, had the privilege of coming here to WMFO. And the podcast is growing. Uh, you can look it up any, anytime. Chuck Moore Speaks. Uh, I podcast this show there as well. And it's available at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and um, the new one is TuneIn. And it's growing. You know, I'm growing a national audience. So, you know, the show, will, the, the show must go on whether I'm here or not. I like being here. I enjoy being in a live studio. I like being a conservative voice in the heart of the, one of the most liberal campuses in America because I hope to, to help uh, contribute to the, the discussion and the dialogue. You know, I mean, that's that's all it is. I don't have any other agenda than that. I want to understand what students are thinking. I want to take a look at the culture of, of Tufts, because after all, you Tufts students are going to be ruling the world in the future. This is one of the most elite and important universities in America. So to me, it's a privilege, and I hope to contribute. Anyway, I'm reaching the end of the program. I want to thank you for listening. My books are available at, at Amazon.com. Just put my name in the server, Chuck Morse. Uh, my column is published by Newsmax uh, every week, usually comes out on Tuesday. And, of course, the program Chuck Moore Speaks, as I mentioned, is podcasted on the aforementioned networks. I shall return, God willing, next uh, Thursday at 10 a.m. right here at Tufts University, um, that being AM 91.5 WMFO. Have a good day, everybody. Be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... <laughs> Sometimes, though. <laughs> You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. 
Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council.